The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined by EJ Snyder. EJ, well, it's been a little while. I hope you enjoyed your bye week, um, but unfortunately, the Bears did not win in your absence, and so we are staring at a three-game losing streak. But other than that, how was the play? Uh, it, you know, it's nice. Uh, I missed you guys. It was cool to hear Bill drop by the pod. You guys did an awesome job. And no, not happy about the state of things. Uh, didn't watch the Tennessee game uh, live. It was the first game this year that uh, I watched in review on Sunday night, which I think was probably better for my health. Uh, but uh, we're not going to talk about that a ton, but I'm doing pretty well, and I have a good beer. Well, I don't oh. know if I have a good beer. I have, you have a one new you're excited beer. about. Yes. Uh, this is uh, on the interesting scale, and it's probably in your roundhouse. Um, do you have Trader Joe's where you are? Sure. Okay, so Trader Joe's has this stuff that comes in a jar called cookie butter. Are you familiar with it? I definitely am, yes. Unfortunately okay. for my waistline. Actually, cookie butter, strange fact, way better for you than peanut butter if you check the label. Hmm. Um, yeah, no, it doesn't taste like it. It basically tastes, for those of you that don't know what cookie butter is, it kind of tastes like peanut butter mixed with like a gingerbread cookie batter or cookie dough. Um, it's fantastic and interesting stuff. Uh, they also put it in ice cream, so they have cookie butter ice cream. But I have here Speculus cookie butter beer wow okay yeah okay so they describe it as an imperial golden ale with toasted coconut vanilla beans and other natural flavors i have no idea what this is going to taste like but i love cookie butter it tastes really good um my wife got this for me and i thought you know what the hell it seems like a jb beer so i will save it for bears over beers what do you have all right, so I don't. We, we keep coming up with all these rules. I don't know if this is a rule because I don't want to have to be restricted to bringing scotch on for three game losing streaks because you know I might be wanting to just bring others on. But uh, you know I wasn't gonna bring a beer on because three game losing streak sucks. I need something a little harder, and so I actually have this bottle here that I am showing EJ on yep. the webcam. It I is called it. High. 
Highland Park. And this is Highland Park 12. And it's actually, they did a rebranding a couple years ago. And actually, their bottles are really cool. They've got uh, this this really cool, like, uh, iconography throughout the bottle. It's got, like, raised glass on the bottle. And it's all over the, the marketing. It's really cool. But this one is actually called Viking Honor. And so I thought, obviously, playing the Vikings this week, we will uh, we'll break out the Viking honor. Hopefully, we will be uh, honored to beat them or something. But uh, this is a really good balanced scotch. I've had this uh, plenty in my life. This is, I'm certainly not a stranger to this particular brand of scotch. But it's, uh, it's really well balanced. It's got a little bit of smoke on it. Uh, but it's not overwhelmingly smoky like some of the Islas that you'll get, like the Lagavulins, if you guys liked Parks and Rec and watched uh, uh, Ron Swanson always drink Lagavulin or Bowmore or, uh, you know... Uh, Lefroig. Lefroig, <laughs> which is... I, I can not I can drink Lagavulin and I like it. I can't drink uh, Lefroig. It's, it's just got a medicinal taste to me that... I, I don't enjoy, but this one has a little bit of everything. I really enjoy this Highland Park. It's a very nice balanced uh, scotch, which the Bears are not a balanced team, but um, you know, maybe one of these days. Maybe. So maybe. One cheers of these to days. you. Cheers to you as well. All right, I am opening up ye old cookie butter. Whoa, uh, definitely desserty on the nose. Uh, so we'll figure <laughs> it out, but. Uh, I'm expecting a, they said Imperial Golden, so I'm expecting a pretty light color, uh, which I'm getting a little bit of, eh, fair amount of head on that, actually. Um, yeah, but well, very good. It looks light. good. Well, we'll yeah. let that kind of calm down and, and uh, circle back at the end, and you'll let us know how it tasted. But I want to start with, you actually said that you went back and kind of took some notes about the Titans game. And I was like, I don't really want to talk about it, but I think that let's just give you the floor because you had a very interesting point about what you had previously coined as the Mitch switch. And I want you to just kind of talk about what you've maybe realized in this last game. Yeah. So the first part of the, the first half really of the Titans game, not a lot to write home about looked a lot like a lot of other bears losses lately. Uh, Bears defense came out and played really well actually uh, did a good job containing Derrick Henry and their offense was completely toothless. They just weren't able to create any consistency and certainly not a lot of threat on offense. Um, got into the second half and that continued and about midway through the third quarter. They decided, oh geez, this doesn't look great. We're down by a bunch. And all of a sudden the game turned into what I used to call, or we used to call on this podcast, the Mitch switch, which was the Bears would be down by a bunch late in a game, and all of a sudden things would change. They would spread it out. They would speed it up. Mitch would start to make a bunch of plays. They'd move down the field. They'd score some points and kind of have this furious rally and either come up just short and the score would be close, or they would win the game in the waning moments. And it felt very much like that was just Mitch hitting his stride late in the game, and we just wished he could turn it on a little bit earlier. Uh, and we would say, why don't they play like this sooner? Why don't they spread it out and speed it up? And it occurred to me watching the Tennessee replay that the game looked exactly the same, but with Foles at quarterback. Like it looked like the quote unquote Mitch switch got flipped, and they spread it out, sped it up, 
Nall made some plays. They started whipping the ball to Allen Robinson. He started catching everything after sort of ignoring him for two and a half quarters. And it looked exactly the same. And I thought to myself, huh, is it really the Mitch switch or did we have the wrong name? Is this really like a naggy Bears offense switch? I, I mean, I think it's an interesting point, and obviously, you know, of course we know that at the end of a game you're going to have softer coverages and, and they're going to kind of sit back and, and play the clock more than they're playing defense, and, you know, we, we get all that. But I do think that there is something to the idea of tempo being an important element here. And, you know, one of the things that I was thinking of, because I didn't have the game here, um, the, the, the map split somewhere in the middle of Iowa and I got the – uh, you know, the bad end of it or the good end of it for my mental health, whichever way you want to look at that. So the Bears weren't on live here. Uh, I ended up watching Mahomes um, and Kansas City on the other on the other station. And this thought struck me that obviously hiring from the Andy Reid tree and obviously everybody's just bashing Nagy, I would say most of it well-deserved. Some of it's going a little bit over the top and he's getting blamed for you know everything under the sun right now, which I'm I'm not sure. I think that's just frustration, and I I guess I can understand that too. But it's like, well, okay, if if Andy Andy Reid tree, okay, Matt Nagy's kind of a poor man's Andy Reid, and then I just started going down my list, like, well, you know, Mitch Trubisky was the really poor man's uh, Patrick Mahomes, but Nick Foles was supposed to be kind of like the Alex Smith, and he's the poor man's Alex Smith. Is Jimmy Graham the like old broken version of Travis Kelsey? Is Bobby Massey the poor man's uh, <laughs> Mitchell Schwartz? You know, like just going through all of these players that are really good on Kansas City and make that work. I mean, the best that I could come up with for Tyree Kill was like, is Tyree Kill basically split into two and it's Darnell Mooney and it's Allen Robinson? Uh, because if you put those two together, you might get Tyree Kill, but the Bears just don't have anything like what what the Chiefs do. And so if Nagy has been trying to call the Chiefs offenses, which is pretty much the only thing he knows, he only knows the Andy Reid offense, and he's trying to do some sort of facsimile or approximation of that, no wonder he's been so unsuccessful. And we have all of these you know poor knockoff versions of what the Chiefs have. And so nothing's worked. No kidding. And so I, I lay a lot of the blame at Nagy's feet for not being able to adapt the system. And maybe he doesn't know how to do that. I think that was something we've always been pretty clear about as to what the limitations were of hiring a guy with very minimal play calling experience and obviously uh, limited experience, even just being the offensive coordinator and someone who was in that that position of power, if you will, with the Chiefs organization, there was always a risk of hiring him that he wouldn't be able to swim when he was thrown in the deep end. And I think with two and a half years now of evidence, I think we can confidently say that Matt Nagy just doesn't have it. He's not able to adapt a play calling system around the pieces that he does have he keeps calling things like he has Patrick Mahomes throwing to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and so um I don't know maybe the Nagy switch is a real thing because late in the game he abandons all his uh, other play calling stuff and just kind of goes into spread it out and speed it up and, and it works but I do know that I think that he's trying to call games like he's Andy Reid 
with the Kansas City tools. Yeah, and Reed took a lot of criticism uh, throughout his early career uh, in Philly and, and in Kansas City before he assembled the super team of offensive talent that he has now. He took a lot of garbage for crap clock management he took a lot of garbage for not being able to win the big one uh in the playoffs these these were the knocks on andy reed before the current iteration which looks pretty unstoppable because of again he's got a cast of characters and he has molded his system he has adapted and changed uh which he seemed less willing to do earlier in his career and it's working for him they're rolling and that's cool uh, but if uh, the stats came out, I think it was Arthur Fishbane put them up this week that, uh, you know, midseason stats and the Bears numbers are uh, <laughs> stinky at best. There's not uh, there's not a number over 28th uh, for every category you can think of in terms of first downs, uh, points scored, uh, you know, yards per rush, you name it. It's 28th, 29th, 31st, 30th, 29th, like the Bears offense does not have a stand to hang its hat on, and it's pretty much universally bad at most things that are measured by offensive stats. Uh, like, really bad. Like, bottom of the barrel, bottom five in every category. And when you're bouncing off the bottom like that after half a season, um, that's it's an indicator that the offense is not changing, not adapting, Definitely short on some players, uh, offensive line especially. We can talk about that. Tennessee game was a probably the most uh, evident <laughs> evidence of that. Um, the the sort of clearest picture of yikes. You really do need an offensive line to play football, and it's just yeah. I don't think that there's some massive miracle turnaround here for Nagy, the play caller. Now Nagy, the head coach, we both like. He's a motivator. Guys play for him. He keeps the team unified. He seems to say the right things. Uh, He seems to strike the right notes with players. But the bottom line is he was hired to be a play caller as well as a head coach. And those two things have to split if he's going to stay. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I think we're going to get into that because we're we're about to reveal what we're going to do with this show here. But I just want to mention that, you know, our, our mutual friend, Kev, who's a, a, an interesting Twitter follower. He's not for everyone, we'll put it that way, because he definitely brings the the uh, you know the other side of the coin. And I feel like he kind of lives on that side of the coin. But he has been obviously very negative. And one of the things that he brought up uh, recently was he had a tweet kind of making fun of, the, you know, the, oh, well, you know, Nagy has guys dancing in the locker room. That doesn't make him a good head coach. And I, I, got, I got mad at the tweet because it's like anything that any coach does looks bad when they're losing like you can make fun of that corny stuff if things aren't going well right and so that's just but that's just football that's sports in general is that if you got a guy who seems like he's you know, able to get those players to respond to the culture and the system. And, you know, they're playing together, they're playing for each other and they're staying in games and they're all that kind of stuff. That that's important. But if you want to be like, well, that's really corny and it's stupid and like, it's gross. I get that, but that's just frustration speaking in my mind. It's, you know, there's a reason why those guys have stuck together and wanted to play for him. I just, I just wanted to point that out because I, 
I think that right now you're seeing, and again, a three-game losing streak will bring out that in, in a lot of people, but I think you're seeing a lot of frustration from a lot of Bears fans, and they're just kind of tearing at everything, even the things that we, you know, a month ago really liked. I fully agree. I think Andy Reid, we were talking about Andy Reid earlier, I think Andy Reid could wear a blow-up pink flamingo, like, life preserver on the sideline in Kansas City, and all the Kansas City faithful would be like, oh, man, that's weird. But the Chiefs could blow somebody out by 30, and they'd be they'd all go buy pink, pink flamingos, right? Yeah, and, they'd be like, where do I get one of those? Yeah, and if he's losing, if he's getting blown out by 30, everybody's like, look, the coach is a quack. He's wearing a blow-up flamingo, right? Yep. Uh, so it's it goes both ways, but the offensive numbers are not um, some mirage. They are horrible. Uh, They match the eye test for what we see on the field, which is the Bears are completely toothless, clawless, whatever on offense. They cannot muster an offensive threat with any kind of regularity. In fact, it's so rare and sort of sparse when they have one of those little bursts that it's surprising. You're like, whoa, whoa, it worked. Like, it actually worked. Like, they strung a bunch of plays together and they didn't have a terrible penalty. Uh, you just get surprised because we don't see it hardly ever. And watching all the tape, I do. I really do start to sort of wax poetic or, or pine for real offense. I'll go to somebody that's, you know, good but not great, the, the Raiders offense this year. Like, I'll watch Derek Carr and think, man, look at the running game. Look at the balance. Man, he's throwing the ball deep because play action's really working, because he's got Josh Jacobs moving. Like, it's balance. It's it's balance in play calling and personnel and that team's humming on offense right now and i think if you transported one half of that to chicago with their defense the bears are absolutely mauling people right now they're if not undefeated very close to it but they are so unbalanced because the offense is completely wrecked absolutely so this is what we're going to do on today's show this was your idea ej and i really like it and so hopefully Uh, you the listener will enjoy what we've got planned for you today so what we're going to do is we each prepared a few things that we think that the bears can do now and then we have some ideas of what the bears need to do later later being the off season and there's a couple of different ways that i think that that conversation can go We'll, we'll talk about that when we get here but now these are things that we believe are in the power of the Bears. If they can't implement them necessarily against the Vikings, they've got the bye week next week, and they'll be able to have two weeks of preparation, and hopefully they can implement some of these things uh, for the Packers when they come off of the bye. So it's your segment. I will let you start off. We'll go back and forth, and I know we have at least one of the same. So go ahead and start us off. Cool. So in the do now list, it's going to be a little bit different than it would have been a couple of weeks ago before the trading deadline. There certainly would have been on my list at that time, a couple of tasks I would have liked them to attempt uh, at the trading deadline. There's some salary they could have gotten rid of. Uh, there's some players they could have tried to go and get again, not necessarily for this year for the quote unquote stretch run, because I think we're all feeling fairly negative about that, but more to set themselves up in a position going into the draft, going into free agency, going into next season where they might not have as many needs um, because this team certainly has a lot of needs right now. So list is a little bit shorter. Um, 
my first one is give Nall time over Patterson at running back. Patterson uh, is a great special teamer, but it looks like the time he's getting on offense, he is progressing at running back. He's definitely hitting the hole a little bit harder uh, than he has earlier in his career, but it looks like it's taken a little bit out of his legs, which is understandable on his kickoff returns. And he is a notorious guy for bringing everything back out. And it's it's starting to take a toll. He doesn't have that same oh, burst as a returner. And it's partly because of his workload on offense, which is not typically really productive. And we said this when Tariq Cohen went down, hey, they need a balance. Ryan Nall came in at the end of the game last week and showed some pop, showed some flash plays. He looked fresh, uh, all the things that Patterson doesn't. Plus, he's a, you know, he's a born running back. That was his position in college. He knows how to catch the ball. He's physical. He can break some tackles. And he can come in and take some downs off David Montgomery's legs and I think be more effective and productive with those downs than Patterson's being in a similar role. Yeah, I mean, you'll get no argument from me on any sort of Ryan Nall conversation because, of course, he went to Oregon State and I will always blindly support anybody that comes out of the University of Iowa or Oregon State University, of course. So, alma mater. And, you know, Northern Iowa as well. I will, you know, I will support them, uh, all three of those schools that I went to. So, uh, yeah, I, I like that idea. My first one is that we need to find a new career for Rashad Coward. Because playing professional football on the offensive line for the Chicago Bears is not something that he should be doing ever again. I don't want to see him on the field. I will take Mustafer. I will take Bars. I will take Kush, who just signed this this week. I don't care. No, I, I know. I, I saw your face. I I can't look at. I can't watch Rashad Coward do Olay blocks and lookout blocks at the guard position anymore. I can't do it. I, I let someone else do it and, and we'll go through them. But I know that I know what I'm getting out of Rashad Coward and it's not good football. And so whoever you get is white hair coming back this week. Great. Does white hair want to go back to guard and we see if Mustafer can play center. Great. Do we let white hair play center and put cushion at guard and live with uh, Eric Cush? Fine. I don't care. But as long as it's not Rashad Coward out there anymore, I'm I'm fine. That just needs to just addition by subtraction is what I'm talking about. Take him off the field. Yeah, my, the look on my face was not disagreeing with your stance on Coward. He has been uh, just not great. <laughs> Super rough. Uh, there's, there's not a lot good to say about his play this year or really last year, uh, for that matter either. No, the look was for bars, Alex bars. I was really excited about Alex bars. He got extended action this week and, uh, dug back in on his tape a little bit and, oh oh boy, it was, it was not good. It was coward ish level. Um, so, but again, he may have some room to improve. I think we know what Rashad Coward is and it's not getting any better. So I'm with you. Let's end that experiment by any means necessary. Cush is an obvious upgrade in my opinion. And we know what Cush is. We've watched him, uh, many times and he is an obvious upgrade over Coward. So yes, I'm with you. Addition by subtraction would work in that case. Um, if bars could be the top backup, I would like the Mustafa white hair, Cush interior trio a lot better than what we've seen. 
because uh, Mustafer actually did hold his own uh, when he came in versus the Rams. So that's a good sign. Bars, I think, needs something else maybe, and maybe the coaches were right to hold him off the field with his performance this last week. It was not uh, – it was bad. So, All right, your second one. My second one, spread it out. They have to spread this offense out. They're not going to beat anybody – uh, in the compact sets with the offensive line and, quite frankly, the tight ends that they're running out there to block. Komet seems to be an average blocker at best. Holtz, eh, maybe okay. Jimmy Graham, we know, has never been a blocker, is never going to be a blocker, certainly not at his age. He wasn't even in his athletic prime. So spread it out. Make it so there's not as much concentration and you can see who's coming. It's going to give your running backs or your tight end, whoever you're putting in motion, to come and chip a clearer picture uh, of what those rushers look like. But if you pack it in and pack it in with your wide receivers, sort of everybody inside the hashes, this team's not going to move anybody. They don't have any bulldozers on the inside of the offensive line. You're not going to make any space for Montgomery. He's going to be contacting the backfield, and your whole offense is just going to grind to a halt, which is pretty much what we've seen. The only success we've seen is spreading it out, four and five wide, empty, pistol, and playing fast, right? You just have to spread it out and play quick, And yeah, that's going to come with some lost plays, some negative plays, Uh, but you're having those right now in kind of the three yards in a cloud of dust, except it's negative three yards in a cloud of dust. So try something else because at least that's worked at the end of the games. I I get it that defenses adjust at the end of games, but you're not having any success the other way. So really, what are you going to lose? Yeah, and I think this might might go inside of these points or it might be at odds with it i'm not sure i'll let you kind of tell me but i i look around the league when i watch other football teams and other play callers and i'm watching offenses that are that are successful and i have talked about this a lot on this podcast i talked about it a lot last year i haven't mentioned it much this year because i figure you guys were sick of hearing it last year but matt nagy needs to learn that play action works in this league and this needs to be a fundamental part of any offense that the bears run going forward if you watched the Titans, and if you watch the Titans regularly, they run play action very well. Ryan Tannehill has been reborn, and he's one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league because he's running a heavy play action scheme. And obviously that helps to have good offensive line. It helps to have Derrick Henry, who's uh, an absolute force. But those plays work even if you don't have that. And so that, But it has to be part of your DNA. You have to be able to sell the fake and you have to be able to sell it with line action it's the steps that the line take that really sell it to the linebackers and that's what frees up those routes so for me i don't expect this to happen against the vikings but i do think once you go into the bye if you can pull out and dust off and you know brush off whatever play action scheme that you have put into game plans over the last two and a half years those need to go in against the Packers. Those have to be part of being able to beat any football team that's at least average here on out. You're going to have to run at least some portion of play action. Yeah, I agree, and there's there's two things I'd put with it. Uh, play action is certainly part of that. Matt Nagy needs to learn to love pre-snap motion mm-hmm. and motion at the snap specifically because that is what the league is using right now to identify those coverage matchups 
Aaron Rodgers talked about it, that he was really unfamiliar with it, that he didn't like it, and now he's come to love it because he understands what it means and he sees the influence it has on so many of the plays that they run. Matt Nagy doesn't have to look far for examples of this. Everybody in the league is using it. They need to use it more. And the other one, and this is going to sound weird considering I just called for Cordero Patterson to have a reduced role on offense because he would be the most likely candidate for this. He needs to line wide receivers up in the backfield because it is the clearest indicator of coverage that you get. Yep. If you line up, you know, if you take Anthony Miller and you motion him right beside Foles in the pistol, you're going to see whether anybody moves to cover him. Who's on Miller? You're going to know. Oh, nobody moved? Okay, it's zone. All right, everybody, we're running the zone version of this play. Oh, you get that safety motioning down in the box? Oh, safety's on Miller. Okay, it's man. (laughs) We're running the man version of this play. Um, So using a combination of those two things and then adding in play action after the snap, it gives the defenses a lot more to think about, a lot less um, sort of key focuses that they can just key in on and say that's the thing they've got to watch two or three things and if it's all moving at the snap they the whole point is to put defenders in crisis right to say oh do i need to go there do i need to go there and they have to do it you know in motion at the snap they don't get a chance to sit back and line up and look and go oh okay i know what i'm doing i got it and and then just execute that allows them to play fast mentally and you have to make them play slow mentally because we see it in we'll talk about kansas city again play action is part of their offense the ball fake is part of their offense nick Foles is going to have to learn how to ball fake because he is really bad at it he kind of motions out a little bit and then leaves the ball in plain view of the linebackers they know at that point it's a pass they don't have to wait whereas if he tucks that ball in behind his hip and spins that other empty hand out there did he did he they have to wait and that creates a gap behind them for those little tight end routes those are those huge gaps that you see kelsey run in and you're like why was kelsey so wide open you go back and mahomes had an excellent ball fake and it was a full step before the linebackers could go oh no he's still got it and at that point kelsey's behind him so if he can take those three things and weld them together pre-snap and and motion at the snap moving wide receivers into the backfield and then play action after the snap with a good ball fake you're gonna see some more space for this offense to operate in yeah absolutely i man i just i watch so many good offensive play callers and they rely on so much play action, and I'm so jealous, and I just don't see it in Chicago. And the thing is, is that I I think about well, – again, we'll get to this, but like – all right, you know what? I'm going to save it. I'm going to save my point. All right, so my my next one is we're going to talk about the – it's going to be a off season thing. So the next one, actually, we share this one, so I'll, I'll present it. But I had in my notes, eliminate Jimmy Graham's role – between the 20s he does not set foot on the field until you get in the red zone i don't care if that means that he gets seven snaps a game i don't care that he cannot run routes in the middle of the field right now they look like garbage he everything's rounded off he's just done he just doesn't have he's not at that point of his career i'm not sure he was ever really that great maybe if it's like a third and short you bring him in and he, he's someone who occupies uh, that. But uh, to me, he is a red zone threat only at this point. Give Cole Komet those reps. 
and let's see if this kid can rise to the surface and, and rise to the challenge here. So I, for me, get Graham off the field between the 20s. Yeah, for me, it's not between the 20s. It's purely red zone. If you're in the offensive red zone, if you're 20 and in, that's it. You're not playing him anywhere else on the yep. field. He is his one move, and we've seen it. We saw early success in the first four or five games, a little burst of touchdowns because he goes, he pushes off, and he hangs out in the corner, and he catches the ball sometimes with one hand. He is a pure post-up player. That is what he is good at. He can still catch it. He can still make touchdowns on that play. Uh, he's very good at that subtle push. He doesn't often get called for it. And, you know, it's a score. It's tough to defend. Everywhere else in the field, he's pretty easy to defend. And he doesn't give you anything in blocking. Uh, his routes are not tremendous. And his concentration in the middle of the field hasn't been great either. He's had some drops. So I'm with you. Let's see what Komet has. And let's see what the guys behind him have. Right? Let's get Holtz yep. in there. Holtz had a big game. Let's see if the number two role as a tight end, not the not the main guy, is really his thing, and he can bring you three or four catches a game, uh, again, at big times or when everybody else is covered, leak him out, little block and chip and roll out into the flat. Like, Holtz can do that. He showed he could do that in the game last year. Now, whether he can do it consistently is a different thing, but we're done with Harris. In my mind, we're really done with Jimmy Graham anywhere except the red zone. Let's see what the other guys on the roster can do, and if that means you got to move Harris along, fine. Jimmy Graham's not going anywhere because of the money. Use him at what he's good at. Don't have him occupy all the snaps where he's literally just taking up air. Ah, man. Harris has been such a disappointment. I didn't think it was like this great signing, but I was like, oh, yeah, he's a solid football player. Uh, but I, he, man, he just has not been good at all. He just has been a negative. And Graham between the twenties is a negative. And again, you can you can create a positive just by taking away a negative. And and that to me is the Jimmy Graham snaps that are anything you know before you get into the twenty. So uh, we're we're in agreement there. I think you, that's it for you. And I have one more. Yeah, let's do and it. So this one. Might come as a little bit of a surprise because all we've talked about is offensive personnel and offensive play calling and offensive you know mentality. I'm going to flip it over to defense. And what I think that we can do, the Bears can do right now, is unleash this defense. The defense needs to make more impact plays, more splash plays. They're going to you know roll into more swagger if they're going to get that. And so I want this team to start being more aggressive. I want them to live and die by the sword here. Like, let's go. Have some fun. Create some chaos. So blitz. Create some fun coverages. Uh, take some chances. See if Eddie Eddie Jackson can get into a passing lane and, and create a turnover. I think this team has to stop thinking about bend but don't break and start thinking about how are we going to take the ball away and win games. Yeah, and how are we going to break the offense? I'm with you. It's If you're going to lose uh, and the Bears are losing right now, you know, lose big, go hard. It's Coaches say play fast, right? So play fast. And if I had to throw my surprise in on top of yours, it would be less snaps for Robert Quinn, right? Because <laughs> not even getting that many to begin with. I know, but. Uh, you know, keep him somewhat fresh. Hope that maybe he can come in and cause some chaos again. If the the defense is in that press mode, the attacking mode, you know, get 
Mario Edwards in there, uh, you know, have Bilal Nichols rotate out, run some cover zero. I know it's not Pagano's thing, but look at look at Flores' take on the Pats cover zero that he's used for the last couple of weeks. Uh, really uh, had tremendous success against Jared Goff. And then this week, opening drive, strips Kyler Murray and creates a, a scoop and score fumble. A cover zero blitz, right? It's a it's the pat staple. Everybody comes, and then the first guy that gets contacted backs up, and and opens up that lane. And you know the Bears have the personnel to do it. Roquan Smith has been penetrating for the last couple of weeks uh, better than he did. Danny's playing much better all over the field than he did at the beginning of the year. This front seven has the talent to rotate guys in and bring those kind of creative pressures. And again attack and maybe generate something because uh, you know you see it in pittsburgh like pittsburgh's defensive line right very very good generates a ton of pressure minka got a free pick this week because the look the defensive line just mauled the quarterback he chucked it up and minka went and picked off this duck like eddie jackson can do that right and you're not giving him those opportunities so i'm with you turn it loose um you know, get the guys who are make it a complete meritocracy, guys that are getting production, guys that are having wins get more snaps. I don't care what the contracts are about. And, you know, bring them and unleash them. I'm, I'm with you. And, yeah, you're going to get burned sometimes, you know, but that's okay. You're losing little right now if you lose a couple big, but you, you know, create some excitement and create some opportunities to turn a game. I think it's worth it. And I, I have to think that these guys are maybe they're getting a little bored. And and I again they're really they're a good defense, but like I'm thinking about you know, do they wanna keep going out there doing the bend don't break and then losing by a touchdown, losing by ten, right? And and if you go out and attack, you give that defense an opportunity to take the game in their hands and win it. Maybe like, gash or be gashed. I understand that that's, that's an option. But these guys are so talented, and it feels like a waste to have them running a kind of a vanilla, bland scheme when you know that they're capable of more. And I don't want to hear that Pagano doesn't know what he's doing. Pagano used to de- you know, be the defensive coordinator in Baltimore. He knows what he's doing. Like he he knows how to bring the blitz. He knows how to do that stuff. That is that comes down from the the head coach of you know oh no you know like let's be conservative here. I I just don't see it anymore. I think at this point it's like turn it loose. Let's do this. I would have loved to see press against Drew Brees. That's all I wanted to see because Drew Brees cannot force the ball down the field and he had no receivers in that game. Manuel Sanders wasn't in the game. Obviously Michael Thomas not playing this year. He had zero receivers in that game, and they sat back and and let Drew Brees pick them apart. If you bring – people think, oh, Fuller can't play press. That's not true. Phys- Fuller is extremely physical. He doesn't like to play press. It's not necessarily his best coverage, but he can damn sure play it, and Jalen Johnson loves it. Big physical press corners. Come up and jam those receivers. Make Brees beat you over the top because – I don't think he could have with that group of receivers, but they never even tried. No, and God, that game came down to Roquan Smith not turning around a split second earlier and getting his hands on that football, and that the Bears could have escaped with that one. But, yeah, jeez, oh, I've been thinking about that one has come in my mind multiple times. But, all right, so those are the things that we think the Bears can do now. Again, maybe not necessarily right away against the Vikings, but definitely after the bye week and come out for the last six games to be able to incorporate some of these things and show a little life 
in this offense and hopefully maybe even get a little bit more aggressive on defense. And so we're going to turn to what we think that they'll do in the offseason. Obviously, we'll have tons of time to talk about this later, but we have obviously some thoughts that we wanted to get out. But we're going to do that after a quick break. All right, EJ, so let's talk about what we think the Bears can do later. So why don't you start, and I think that we definitely have the same first one. <laughs> I'm so shocked. I know. This is uh, this is off-brand yeah, for sure. I know. It's like me drinking a dessert beer and saying that Jeff might like it. Uh, no. <laughs> O-line talent rebuild, and I do mean rebuild. I don't mean patch a couple holes and, and go into anything. I think the Bears thought that they had a very solid foundation and they were plugging a hole. That was their approach in the offseason. We have seen uh, demonstrated throughout this year that that is not the case. They do not have what they thought they had. And their tackles are getting older. Uh, you know, the guard play has not been up to snuff. And, you know, you could even say that center play has not been tremendous. Whitehair got his lunch handed to him pretty often in the first four weeks, actually. And, they need to do it from the ground up. They need to draft some. If you're going to get a tackle, you're probably going to have to draft them high. This draft is very deep with offensive tackle talent. You can get guards in the third and fourth round, and if you trade down, you've got some extra picks there. Get multiples. You know, Grab some UDFAs. Build the farm system. Trade for guys who are languishing on other squads that you liked a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, this is what your pro scouting department is for. Hey, we like that guy. He got drafted three spots before us. He hasn't really worked out. Let's let's kick the tires. He's on somebody's practice squad. You know, let's get him in the building. Let's have. I, I wouldn't be sad to see them have twenty offensive linemen in camp. And really be able to just say, all right, we're going to figure out who works with our system. We're going to figure out who's going on the practice squad that we actually like and just build some depth. It reminds me of a baseball team that needs pitching, right? They just come to a point and they realize, wow, we don't have anything and we can't go out and just buy it. We need to fill up our farm system. We need to trade for guys that are reclaimed projects. We need to do everything we can to get an offensive line in this building because we really don't have one right now. Yeah, I, I obviously I want a lot of investment in the offensive line. That was the first thing I wrote down as well. And and I think that if we want to get into specifics, I, I I know that I've talked about this so much. I just don't like white hair at center. And I just want him back at a guard spot. And I think Daniels is playing a pretty good guard and I'm and I'm very happy about that. I mean, he's he's kind of filled out. And I'm curious if he can be swapped back with center. Or if you really like him at guard, then you're going to have to draft a center, and then you've got your two guards. And Because I, I do think Whitehair has plenty of talent. We, we all love his strength, and we all think that he can, do, he, he can do some good. But I think he's a guard, and I think we're fooling ourselves keeping him at center. And I think the only reason why he was at center was because of Trubisky. Well, Trubisky's not your future. So put him back at a guard – let him sit there for the rest of his career. Daniels, make the decision if you think he's ready to go back to center. If not, if you think you like what you see out of him at guard, great. Go draft a center. That's got to be something that you have to prioritize. You can get a center 
you know, late first, early second is, is certainly a uh, premium center ground, but I think you can also go a little later than that and still get guys that you can develop into good starters. And so that has to be something that you that you think about right off the top. The tackle market, obviously, you know, you're going to have to go up high in the first round to take, uh, to take a left tackle, right tackles, guys that maybe just don't have quite those feet uh, and are maybe a little bigger, a little bit more rogue graders. Those guys can be had more in the second round. So again, I, I really think that you're going to have to think about investing multiple draft picks in this offensive line. You know, picking up free agents is not really an option because the Bears don't have any cap room. And so, you, you know, like you said, you're filling the farm system, you're, but you're going to have to be creative with it. You're not going to be able to go out and just get the top of the line. You're not going to get Brandon Scherf to come in and play one of your guard spots. It's not going to happen. You're not going to have the money. And so you're going to have to take high draft picks and think about how you're going to invest those in the offensive line or trade down and hopefully get more swings. And you're going to have to try to, like, hopefully hit something late, like you tried with Alex Bars and mm, doesn't look like that maybe is working out. Uh, but the tackles, you're not going to get lucky and get an average starter like Leto again. And if you want to be legitimately competitive and hopefully block for a young quarterback, which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, here next, then you're going to have to protect him with a left guard that's you know top of the league. And those guys cost draft picks high up in the first round. And so when are you going to do it? Are you going to do that this year and then wait on the quarterback? Or are you going to do that the year after after you've already got your quarterback so um interesting question what do you build first to me i'm an offensive line guy but nothing matters until you get that quarterback in the building yeah and we'll move into that there might be a chance this year uh and this is an interesting interplay between these two positions because we really are talking about moving towards the draft this year there's a ton of offensive tackle talent um much like there was last year there's a lot of offensive tackle talent one of the best offensive talent groups at tackle that I've seen in quite a while this year might even be deeper and quarterback there's some good talent there but it's certainly not as deep and it's certainly going to go higher so are you going to be able to wait to you know the top of the second and pick up some guys there were some guys that went this year at the top of the second in the tackle market who look like capable starters um you know is that your is that your thing but that's team building for the offseason um quarterback is a thing and i don't know if the bears win a few more games it's going to be really rugged it's going to be the classic bears limbo six seven eight wins right in the middle uh you know too (laughs) too low in terms of draft capital to get anybody great without trading up and again that depletes your draft capital um but if you wait you're probably not getting a starter um right off the bat so you know do you trade back do you wait if they win a couple more games, it's going to get really complicated, and they're going to, again, have to get creative, and, and quarterback is is not typically a position where teams like to get creative. They like to get that guy in the building, whether it's through free agency or the draft, pay him a lot, and have him be the starter unquestioned for you know six, eight years. That's what they want, and the Bears aren't going to be able to do that, So, but they can't stand pat with what they have. They cannot just say, Nick Foles is our guy. And, and we're going with that because there's not a lot behind him. Um, Trubisky's most likely going to move on during the offseason. I would say almost absolutely going to move on during the offseason. And they don't have a ton of draft capital. So 
maybe they get lucky and a guy drops to wherever they end up in the first. I don't think that's something they should count on. In fact, I'm saying they absolutely should not count on that. And that means you need to take as many swings as you can, because you said it earlier, nothing matters until you get a quarterback in the building. And that needs to be at least an average quarterback and the bears are not there right now. So that means you draft one, even if it's a little bit later and you know, he's not going to be a starter right off UDFAs, low round trades for guys who are languishing we've talked at length about guys like josh rosen um we've got you know dwayne haskins now seems to be in the doghouse was a former first round pick you you go see kick the tires and you may not get bargain basement values on those guys but one of them or two of them i'd be fine with both of those guys in the building again what do you have to lose if one of them pans out it's pennies on the dollar in terms of quarterback salary scale and you've got nothing. It's not like you're going to hurt your very established veteran, soon-to-be Hall of Famer quarterback's status or feelings, right? There's nobody to upset. So get as many guys as you can in the building, open the competition, see who lights up, and then pick three that you can work with for the next year because you're probably not going to get top-end quarterback talent. Everybody's like, oh, pay Dak. Dak's going to be $40 million a year. I would love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dak would be the best possible option for this Bears team. They can't afford him. So they're going to have to take a bunch of swings and patch it together, but they cannot just stand pat. That's not acceptable. Now, the only other guy, I, I, I think that if the Giants are uh, making Giants-like decisions and they keep Dave Gettleman for another year, then he's not going to move on from Daniel Jones. And I'm not saying I want Daniel Jones, but um, no, you I'm are interested. not. <laughs> no, I, I don't like Daniel Jones. I haven't ever liked yeah. Daniel Jones. I kind of just thought that that was a weird pick to begin with. I, I am actually kind of interested in Sam Darnold. Mm-hmm. And I want to see what Sam Darnold can do away from the Jets organization. And I you you've seen it with guys like Robbie Anderson who like looks like a legitimate number one wide receiver getting out of the Jets system and there's been you know there's been other players that have left and have looked pretty good Tannehill and obviously <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and, so, and he's looked you know to me obviously Darnold was a guy that had you know was a very high draft pick a lot of people liked him a lot of people had really high grades on him and so they're gonna they're in a position where they're gonna have their pick of. Trevor Lawrence, or Justin Fields, they're going to be at the top of the draft. If they don't finish with the number one overall draft pick, it'll be a, a a bit of a surprise at this point. And so they're going to want to move Sam Darnold for some price. And if the Bears can get him for, let's say, a 2022 third rounder or something like that, because you know they're kind of hurting for capital, I think that's something you got to consider. Absolutely. I would love to see Sam Darnold get a chance. And it would be wouldn't it be interesting to end up with Darnold and Rosen, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. two Southern Very California so. guys who uh, you know, have not had the clearest path. And, you know, one of them is probably gonna give you something. And I you know, sure, go go big. Go go Darnold and Rosen and Haskins, because you can get Rosen for probably the back of a milk carton right now. Darnold, you're going to have to pay something for. He's got value as a star. I mean, other organizations are going to want to be in on that because he does show some flashes, but he's damaged goods at this point because he's been running for his life and getting the snot beat out of him uh, in Adam Gase's offense. But yeah, there's talent there. So you're going to have to kick around, figure out what you can gather for not that much, 
and then give those guys a shot. And you never know what clicks when guys get a change of, change of scenery. They, you know, they click with the offense. They click with the play caller. Who knows? It doesn't really matter. But you've got to have something. You've got to have some hope that's developing uh, because right now it really just looks like it's kind of down from here at the quarterback spot for Chicago. And it's just been that way too long. And you're wasting, honestly, every other player on the team if you don't have an answer there. Yep, absolutely. So I want, I want to move on to your next point, but this was a point where I had a little bit of a fork. And so your point uh, talks about keeping Nagy and how, and how to keep him and move things around. And my fork was like, you got to make a decision. Are you going to clean house and bring in new people? And we'll, and then I, so I want to talk a little bit about some of the coaches that I think that you need to go after. Uh, but let's talk about if the Bears say, nope, we're going to stick with these guys. We're going to stick with Matt Nagy as the head coach and probably stick with Ryan Pace as the GM. It'd be kind of weird to take Pace out and not um, and not Nagy. But so let's start with that scenario. So so you're you're sticking with Matt Nagy. What do you think has to be done for this to even have a chance next year? Yeah, and I did put it as an if he stays right because I I don't think that's a foregone conclusion. If they end up just skidding into the finish and not winning another game, certainly Nagy's uh, job security is going to be not very secure. Um, I think it probably already should be there, uh, especially if he's not willing to make massive changes around the offense because he has to face facts. You have to be good enough in this league at self-scouting to say, wow, we sucked, and that was mine. I was in charge of that, and we lost a lot of games because I didn't do my job as well as my peers did. And I ended up, you know, 29th overall in the league for offense. And that really handcuffed a team that was ready to go and do some things. So if he's not willing to make a clean break and say, I'm not in charge of the offense. I, you know, the organization, me, headed by me. Um, And I think that's really the ultimatum is if Nagy stays, he has to be willing to do that. He can't dabble. He can't be the Jerry Jones reaching down and saying, well, you should do this right? He can be the head coach. He can be the unifier. He can be the guy that floats around. And I think he's good at that. Um, keeps guys motivated, uh, pulls the strings when he needs to make suggestions, but he cannot be day to day, play to play, play caller. It's not working. It hasn't worked. There haven't been any tremendous flashes that were like, Oh, if we could, if we could recreate the early magic of 2019, no, uh, uh-uh. it's never been tremendous. Um, and, they've got to go get a very talented offensive play call. It would be a little weird coming into, again, an established system with Ryan Pace, with Matt Nagy still there. He's going to have to sort of pull that BU sticker off his play card and hand it to the other guy and say, you know, run what works, right? You, you did it great at your last stop. Presumably, we need you to take what is not a bare cupboard of offensive talent you know, Mooney looks pretty good. A-Rob, if he stays in town, is is really solid. David Montgomery, if you put blockers in front of him, can be a very good running back. You don't have any of that stuff right now. So we talked about the way to rebuild some of those spots, but you really have to hand it over to somebody and say, this is yours. You cook with it. Uh, I'll bring in some help. You know, if you want to keep Bill Lazor as a as a consultant or a, you know, a quarterback's coach or whatever you want, like that's fine. But you need to go get 
the next very talented young play caller, whether it's college or the pros, and you know, let them go, let them cook, and see if they can put something together with this, what is going to be a cobbled roster, right? Again, they can't go buy top-tier talent. They're not going to have a, a Justin Fields, um, you know, but you got to free that up. And if Nagy says, I won't do it, he's got to go. So I agree with all of that. So let me go to the other fork. And here, I want to preface this. Everybody, there's a lot of people that are like, well, who would who would you hire as head coach? And so I put out a, a few guys that I'm interested in and, and why, the, the rationale. And I always get, what about Eric Bieniemy? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I like Eric Bieniemy a lot. Eric Bieniemy is not coming to Chicago. He's not going to follow Matt Nagy, who came from the exact same tree. The Bears aren't probably aren't even going to try out of the same tree because that's not generally how hiring head coaches go. You usually go in some other direction. But Eric Bieniemy is going to be the top candidate this offseason. He should have got a job last year. He's going to be the top candidate. He's going to go somewhere with a quarterback or with the capital to acquire one of those top guys. I think he probably goes – well, he's going to have to think about the Texans. He's going to have to think about that organizational stability, which I'm not sure is there right now, but Deshaun Watson sure is tempting to go work with. But he's going to be the top name. So he he's not interested in Chicago. Let's just take that off, off the table. And so for me, I think that there's the only way that you can go is you say, I need to get a guy who has shown to be a good play caller. And I think that there is a few options. I think like Greg Roman is very interesting. Um, he, he's just a guy that's done a lot with surprising talent. Um, but to me, there's two guys that stick out. Do you want to see if you can capture the next Sean McVay, which to me is Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator in Carolina, or which I think is something that maybe isn't talked about enough, but The guy we just saw, Arthur Smith in Tennessee, I think is a guy that Bears fans would actually really like because he has been calling a brand of football with mm, uh, a great running back, a good offensive line, one of the better offensive lines in the league, and a retread quarterback that he's taken from the scrap heap off of Miami into being one of the most efficient uh, quarterbacks in the league. Now, I'm not saying that you can do that with just anybody, but he has shown that he can put together a competent offense in Tennessee. And I think that Arthur Smith would be a very interesting guy to bring in the building. So those are my two guys that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of putting at the top of my list right now. Again, I like Greg Roman. There's a couple other guys I like too. Uh, but I don't see the idea of bringing in a defensive coach. Don't even bother with that idea. I don't see bringing in a culture guy like a Jim Harbaugh, which everybody's going to want to jump on that idea. No, thank you. That's not what you're doing here. You're going after talented play caller and see if you can capture that next Sean McVay, that next Sean Payton, if you you know want to go back further. That's what you're looking for right now. What do you think? I like all the names you brought up, I'm going to disagree on Bienemy that he's not interested. Um, NFL head coaching spots are coveted. You don't really care who had them before, and you don't care who has them next. Uh, he is going to be the top candidate, I believe, but he's also probably going to go deep into the playoffs and not be able to interview except for that limited window. 
Uh, and if the Bears are willing to wait, they might be able to steal him. Again, I think if you tell Eric Bieniemy, uh, you know, you this can be yours, and and you don't have to come in and and run with anything else in terms of anybody else's offense. We want you to run your offense. Um, the only thing that's going to be the big negative there is the quarterback, right? He's not going to have his quarterback for one year, but you're going to have to give him probably a five-year contract to get him in the building. So you can say, look, we will get you your quarterback next year. You're going to do the best you can. It'll be a little bit like Matt Rule going into Carolina this year. You're not going to have a top pick this year. We'll try and get you a a mid-tier free agent or somebody you like. Um, you know, maybe off somebody else's uh, practice squad or backup spot. You know, we'll trade for a guy that that might be in somebody's system. Uh, but I don't think he would turn it down. Like enemy has been waiting for a job. He's been passed over enough times that if you say, you know, you can be the head coach of a charter franchise, which the Bears still are, they're sleeping giants, right? If he could wake up Chicago, I think he'd take that opportunity. But the other two guys you mentioned, Joe Brady probably first on my list he is the best play caller in the nfl right now by stat in terms of what he is creating with that offense he has some mixed talent like we both like teddy bridgewater and cmc is great but cmc has been injured for most of the year um robbie anderson was not thought of as a true number one he's playing like one uh curtis samuel was a bit of a i don't want to say bust but more dud like the previous staff did not understand how to use him he's unlocked him as a runner and a receiver he's got that offense firing on all cylinders right now and if you're gonna go pure offense like joe brady is gonna be probably one of the top two guys you're talking to um does he have the chops to be head coach? Because we all know that head coach is not just offensive play caller. I don't know. Like he's a young coach for sure, but he's had a ton of offensive success. Um, that's why he got the job in Carolina and he's going to be an extremely high candidate. Smith is really interesting because quite frankly, with where the bears talent is aligned right now, it's probably less of an adjustment for his offense. Uh, you know, Montgomery is not Derrick Henry, uh, sure. And the Bears line is nowhere near the Titans line. But in terms of, I don't even know if you can call it philosophy. I don't think the Bears have an offensive philosophy right now. But in terms of the talent they have in the building, it's probably less of a jump for Smith to come over. Again, I don't know anything about Arthur Smith's organizational skill or ability to lead all the things that a head coach has to do. Um but a very interesting call because of what he's done with the parts he has. Yeah, and I just think that he would bring a style that just sort of would fit Chicago in a way that fans would would really appreciate. And so to me, he's someone that I've been kind of keeping an eye on, and, and, and I like him, and I like what he's done. And so those are kind of some names to think about if the Bears do that. And, and I want to say – one thing about you kind of mentioned it giving uh, giving somebody a five year contract. The thing that I liked a lot about what San Francisco did with Kyle Shanahan is that they identified Kyle Shanahan as the guy. They waited for him. They went all the way to the Super Bowl. They waited for him, and they handed him a guaranteed contract with no offsets. So most coaching contracts are guaranteed to some degree, but if you go and get another coaching deal then it's offset by the money that the, your new team's going to pay you. Well, Kyle Shanahan signed a seven-year, fully guaranteed deal. So if they fired him, 
that was they were still on the hook for all that money. And the Bears have to start thinking about that because, Matt, if they move on this year, and I'm not saying that I think they will or whatever, but if they do, that means that they will have fired Matt Nagy in three years, John Fox in three years, Mark Tressman in two years. That is not quite like Browns level and certainly not quite what the 49ers were doing where they were going through a new coach like every year, every other year. But you're starting to get that, that in that cycle and you have to break out of that. You can't be one of those organizations that continues to just cycle through coaches because no one wants that job. And so for me, I think you have to kind of take a look at what San Francisco did and be willing to put that money up for a guy that you believe in. Yeah, one last name to throw up, and it would be a wild card. He is not a quote-unquote offensive guy. Um, he would have to – you'd have to – ask him i think very very plainly in the interview who are you going to bring in to run your offense and if you didn't like that answer you wouldn't hire him but he does have a strong chicago connection and i think he's worthy of again the head spot which is a different you know it's become merged i think lately with the hottest offensive name right but head coach is a very different set of responsibilities and that's dave tube the special teams mm. coordinator from Kansas City, right? He was a special teams sure. coordinator for the Bears for a long time during their, you know, the Devin Hester heyday. Uh, he's gone on to San Francisco, uh, moved on, you know, due to some coaching changes, has been an incredibly consistent coach. And the thing about special teams coaches is that they understand both sides. Their squads are made up of offensive and defensive players. They work with the coaches on both sides. Um Dave Tube has been around the league a very long time. He's got a Chicago connection. He wouldn't be your first candidate, and you would have to have some clarity, some definitive clarity around who he thought he was going to be able to get to run the offense and be extremely comfortable with that because, look, that's the thing. That's the question in Chicago is can you run an offense? Can you mount a decent offense? Um, But Dave Tube's just one of those wild card names with a Chicago connection that I think would be a good good pick for the head spot but you gotta get that offensive connection you know lined up and locked down and then i'll just throw out that if you do bring someone in that's young you take your swing at a guy like joe brady um even arthur smith i don't know what kind of connections he'd have on the defensive side wade phillips took the year off man wade (laughs) phillips seems like he still wants the coach he wants how much fun yeah how much fun would wade phillips have with khalil mack and, and the rest of this bears defense i think he would have a lot of fun coaching these guys up and that would be pretty interesting he would have a ton of fun um i will see and this is this is a bit odd but i will see if i can ask him (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) here's here's the thing uh my other podcast co-host brett coleman tweeted some stuff sort of at him and wade tweeted back and then he dm'd him and this was last year and you know brett came unglued (laughs) he's like wade Phillips DM'd me. And since then, he's kind of tentatively gone back and, and like, you know, asked him some film questions and some scheme questions and, and Wade's responded. Um, so I'm not, I'm not going to oversell this. I'm not going to say he's a friend to the podcast or anything, but you know, I'll, I'll just throw that out there and say, you know, ask Wade the next time you talk to him, even if it's three or four months from now, how much fun he thinks he'd have with the bears group. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm friends with you, you're friends with Brett, and he mm-hmm. is friendly with Wade Phillips. So I'm not that far away from a great defensive coach. So I feel I, I think you that. can pull him in. You should start recruiting. 
I think he would like me. That's all I'm saying. Oh, I think the two I think of you get would along. get along famously. That that would be great. Um, no, I think he'd have a ton of fun, especially for the first couple of years. Um, Wade's a guy that uh, gets a lot of results early out of his defensive talent, and is we were talking about aggression. He's very aggressive, um, and he succeeds with it. So I, you know, I, I like Chuck Pagano, and I, I would like to see again. Uh, coaching staffs tend to rotate fully when new guys come in at the head spot, but. Um, I wouldn't be at all upset if if whoever came in wanted to retain Chuck Pagano if they retain most of their defensive core because look he's been very good and he's been very solid and if you're an offensive coach coming in and you can kind of leave the defensive side of the table alone and say you guys are not going to give up more than 14 maybe 17 points all I have to put on the board is two touchdowns a week and I've got a really good chance to win the game that's a that's a heck of a security blanket um, I know it doesn't often happen that way because of politics, but I, for one, would not be upset with Pagano staying. Well, let's just make sure that whoever is in charge of that potential hiring decision, whenever that happens, they let that new head coach make that decision. Absolutely. And not try to force it on them like a certain former general manager. But no, no. That's plenty of fun hypothetical talk. Um, I don't know. Do you even really want to talk about the Vikings game? Here's what I will say. Obviously, Dalvin Cook is really freaking good. And if you want to beat the Vikings, you're going to have to figure out a way to stop Dalvin Cook. But you're also going to have to figure out a way to try to get a lead early and make Kirk Cousins play from behind because he can't do it. That's really the key to beating the Vikings. Get out in front early, make Kirk Cousins throw uh, 40 times, and you take the ball out of Dalvin Cook's hands. That's how you beat the Vikings. Now, how you do that against the Vikings defense, who seems like they're starting to play a little better, I don't. I don't know. I don't know that the Bears <laughs> offense can do anything right now. I, don't I, know, I just man. don't know. I don't have a lot of confidence right now. They're they're just they they seem to they seem to not be very good at anything. And is one week good enough to recover from the last three weeks, which two of which were really big beatdowns? Yeah, I I don't know. The Bears are definitely struggling, kind of swimming upstream right now, especially on offense. But uh, we said the same thing about Derrick Henry coming into the Tennessee game, and the Bears effectively bottled up one of the leading rushers in the NFL and made him look extremely pedestrian. Kamara did not have an amazing game. He broke loose for a few tackles, sure, racked up some yards. But the Bears have faced top running backs, and Dalvin Cook is absolutely a top running back. Um, But if you're looking at this week's game, kind of getting ready for next week's game, and you watch the Vikings game, uh, Dalvin Cook ran against a lot of air last week. He looked amazing, but he also had holes you could drive semis through. It was there were runs he wasn't even touched for like 17 yards. Um, that's not going to be the Bears' defense. They've tightened up against the run quite nicely, especially up the middle. Um, shout out to Daniel McCullers, who did not play great but was effective um, in his snaps against Tennessee. Uh, they protected him on the practice squad this week. We'll see. I thought he, he added a nice presence to the interior, gave Blal Nichols some rest and was a big part of making sure that there weren't huge gaping holes for, you know, Derek Henry to come blasting through. And if they can do the same thing to Dalvin cook, if they can make him look a little bit human, keep him to, you know, 70 or 80 yards on, you know, make him earn it 20, 25 touches and, and you know, force, cousins to go up top yeah your chances of winning that game are a lot better if you know if the good kirk cousins shows up and i realize it doesn't happen all that often but if he does um 
it's going to be a long game for the Bears. The Vikings have a lot of receiving talent. Uh, what one thing I would like to happen at Hallis Hall this week is for Foles to sit down with some Cousins tape and watch the play action fakes because Cousins is really good, especially around the goal line, at selling the play action fake. Like he is excellent at it. Not a great quarterback, but that is a top skill of his, and it freezes people. They got a free touchdown to Irv Smith this last week because purely because Cousins ran a really nice play-action fake at the goal line, and everybody just went, wait, what? Where's the ball? Irv Smith ran out to the flat, and he literally just tossed it to him. Um, so if Foles could get anywhere near that level of proficiency with the ball-handling fakes, which I really don't think is his strength, um, that would be great. But, yeah, if you can pressure Kirk Cousins, I feel a lot better about it. I'm not – I don't want to say I'm not worried about Dalvin Cook because, of course, if you miss a couple tackles, he's going to make you look silly and go the distance. But – the Bears have been better against top running backs and, and the better against the middle run. Um, so I think they have a decent chance at bottling him up. And then really it is all about whether or not Kirk comes to play on that day. Yeah, though, it's not quite our normal preview. We don't have uh, elaborate keys for the game, but it's a divisional game. I think we kind of know these guys pretty well. So um, I want to talk about Highland Park just a little bit because – the one thing that I didn't mention is that it's a 12-year-old scotch, and so it's actually pretty uh, attainable in terms of price range. So if you guys are new to scotch or you're mostly a bourbon drinker and you're kind of wondering about what, what bottle do I start with, this actually isn't a bad bottle to start with, and it's not going to set you back much. This is probably, uh, I, don't, I don't know, 50, 60 bucks or something like that, which for a bottle of, scotch, bottle of good scotch is a good price. And so this is something that I would highly recommend putting on your shelf if you're interested in getting into scotch. It gives a very nice balanced approach uh, to the different tasting elements that you'd expect in a scotch. Yeah, I like How's that. your beer? Uh, not good. <laughs> oh, no. No, not good. Um, I, and, and you know me, JB. I drank this much. Oh no! Well, yeah. and most of that was head when uh, yeah. when you no, showed it to I me had last about time, so. two good sips of this, and that was enough to know that uh, one of my least favorite notes. Uh, people won't know this about me, but I'm a bit of a coconut snob. Um, I have a lot of family history in Hawaii. My mom grew up there, and I and I grew up eating fresh coconut, and so the dried stuff and. Uh, whenever anybody says toasted coconut, that means automatically dried stuff. Um, that note is really strong off the nose, and it's followed by a very heavy sort of slop of vanilla. So you get like toasted coconut and then a big blast of sweet vanilla, and maybe there's a little bit of beer taste in there at the end. That golden golden ale taste really is, is pretty subdued. So you're basically drinking coconut and vanilla, and it's uh-huh. a little bit like sunscreen. <laughs> oh, Um and I, okay. I just, I can't do it. Uh, I think it's great for ice cream. Uh, I think it's awesome as a, as an alternate spread for peanut butter, but it's not what I choose to have in my beer glass. So this one's, uh, not for beer. this one's going to get dumped and, and that's okay. It's good to try new things. Uh, it happens. Yeah, it happens. You know, you're not going to win every game. And, uh, so nothing against the beer. If you like sweet beers or you have people in your life that maybe don't like that sort of more bitter beer taste and are, are really aren't going to get into it unless it's sweet. Sure. Give it a shot. Um, it's not an expensive beer for sure. Uh, and you know, if they don't like it, you know, same thing, but who knows, they might really like it and say, Hey, I'll have one of those every once in a while. And then you will be, you know, growing another beer lover and there's nothing wrong with that. So you got anything going this week? 
Uh, nothing, nothing that normal. You know, we should mention programming note that we are going to follow the lead of the NFL schedule makers for the Chicago Bears, and we are going to take a bye week next week. So there will be no episode next week, and we'll be back the following week to help preview the Packers and try to, you know, hopefully celebrate a win delayed a week, but we will not be on next week. Yep, so we're going to get a break, and then uh, later in the schedule, I think maybe the week the Bears play the Texans, we'll have to see how that lines up. I floated the idea with Brett, since he's a Texans fan and a bit of a closeted Bears fan, that he might sub in that week because we might just be drowning our sorrows together because that might be a game where both teams actually lose. (laughs) Sounds good to me. It's possible. So we'll do that in the future, but until then, um, have fun. Enjoy as much as you can of the Bears game. There were actually some enjoyable plays in the Tennessee game, although the end result, certainly not great for Bears fans. Um, You know, look to young players, see if they're developing. Um, Maybe look to your favorite player and see if they're playing really well. If nothing else, look at Jalen Johnson because he is leading the league in pass breakups. He has 12 pass breakups on the year, and that leads the league, not for rookies, that is leading the league. So you you have a potential star cornerback uh, in a Chicago uniform. So enjoy that. Uh, and until then, we come back a week after Bear Down.